Welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, episode 134, More Earnings Fun. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just getting started, Dividend Talk is the place to be for insights, analysis, and unsalted advice on how to make the most of your money through dividends with our own unique European flavor. I'm your co-host, Engineer My Freedom, and today I am joined by European DGI. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and join our community on Facebook at Dividend Talk. See you on the inside. Hey, European DJ. How are you this week, buddy? Uh, really great. You know, this was an awesome week with lots of lots of earnings. So, I mean, I'm I'm fully excited for the show, I must say. And yeah, for the rest, really busy at work. I mean, my focus should be always first work than uh, anything else, of course, because that's really what's paying my income so they can invest. So I, uh, that's how life goes. But other than that, I used every little minute in my spare time to, uh, you know, keep an eye on the earnings popping and up, popping up because it's been a crazy week. It's been it's been so jam packed, both uh, like you know, like work, but news of the week, uh, earnings, everything. It's just lots of things have been happening, lots of dividend hikes. I mean, we've we've a jam packed show today. I mean, I don't know how we're going to get through this in in a timely manner, but we'll we'll give it a good shot. But there's just so much to talk about here. In the summer, we could have made four or five shows out of this during cucumber time. Yeah, yeah. But hey, we'll 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 do our best. We'll squeeze it into one as as concise as as we can. Let's on that note, let's move on to the news of the week because we've got quite a few things. And the first one, I suppose, has been highlighted to us by the community, which I'm not surprised. We talk about Unilever quite a lot on the show, and they've now officially appointed a brand new CEO. Yeah, and his name is uh, Schumacher, Hein Schumacher. So Schumacher. I like his last name. It's yeah. uh, it's of course a name that uh, many people uh, me people know from Formula One. So if he's just as quick as uh, good old Michael, then we should be in uh, in a lot of fun. And I believe he comes from uh, I was called the one of the biggest dairy producers in the world, Friesland Campina. What I don't like in him is that he's a former CFO, but he seems to be a golden boy there. So let's hope that he also proves it here. But I generally don't like it when CFOs are in a CEO role because then they start looking at profitability and such. But I usually miss a little bit this affinity to really understanding the operations of the business and such. So, I mean, I hope to be proven wrong. Let's see. Uh, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. But we saw also with Intel, right? What what happens if you have first a CFO like Bob Swan, and then there comes, uh, yeah, that, that looks nice in the beginning with the cash flows, but in the end, if they then underinvest, you screw yourself a few years down the line. So that's a little bit my uh, always my worry with CFOs becoming a CEO. Yeah, I mean, look, he, he has his roots in Unilever. I think he started off his career there, so he, he obviously knows the business. And if you go on to the press release, they do a nice little synopsis and biography of him, and they're quick. I think they pointed out two or three different parts that he 
is being part of companies during transition stages. I think I think Heinz or something was it was another one. So he's yeah. he's been working in a, a Heinz, company Heinz got the dividends, right? Was that under his leadership? There's a matter. Uh, was a company in transition, and uh, they just milked it out. <laughs> hey, yeah. milked. Uh, they just milked it out, and uh, you know, together I think was 3G Capital with uh, Uncle Warren. Yeah. So, but it it looks like he was picked for that reason. They know they're in transition yeah. and, and are trying to turn around. How we stand from a dividend point of view, obviously we we don't know. Yeah. Hopefully he doesn't follow yeah. sit with Heinz. But it's it's just it's an interesting appointment. I don't know enough about him, I have to say. Um, so you just have to give him the benefit of the doubt and see, yeah, see where he goes. I mean, twelve months. He's going to start when in July. So it's probably not going to be into July the following yeah. year until we start to see what he's bringing yeah. to the table. Well, let's say like that. Almost anything better than Alan Yopi. He was so so bad. He was so bad. So uh, from that point of view, it's good. I also like that it's Nelson Peltz. I believe is in the board there. So he did a really great job at uh, Procter and Gamble. So yes, I'm also giving it the, the benefit of the doubt. It's just like I don't like it so much that the CFO was uh, running the show, a former CFO. Yeah, and it it also shows how quick the board want to get Alan Yopi out of there. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, think yeah, yeah. Uh, usually they they stay on board don't they for a, a lot longer than than what he is yeah this was just a month so i i, I made already a joke like probably alan yopi will now go to uh, human resource management say say i still have three weeks outstanding can i can i take those as vacations and then you have only like one week of handover uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. out, out the door yeah. very good um phillips another european company is paying yeah dividends which a lot of people are wondering if they're going to cut the dividend they did not cut the dividend they're maintaining the dividend but there is a caveat with that they are not yeah. paying it in cash they are paying it in shares yeah, so, well it's it's you know it's a dividend out of pocket out of your own pocket and um we have seen this in Shell actually for quite some time. In 2016, when the oil crisis happened, they started to also dilute shareholders to be able to continue paying the dividend. Um, you, I guess under stress, you can do this maybe as a one-off, but it's not a good sign that they are doing this. It's really not a good sign. Their earnings are also just horrible. So, I mean, I, I went out of it. Um, people might be now thinking like, oh, it's still good yield, but i mean again here also an internal golden boy let's see uh what this person ends up with the share price was like in the 40s like before all this uh, mess started and now it's like um 15 or 16 so you know you don't need to be a hero you can you can also buy the 25 once you see that phillips is on the way back the settlement is behind them and you would still get a good yield as a reward so yeah i, I mean just two ways of looking at at this isn't it one, I think everybody expected the event to be hit. Mm. They were keen to preserve it, so they did not want to cut it. So they said they paid out in shares. So it shows they are trying to look after their shareholders. But we we yeah. do know they've got we got some problems. And look, some people like to reinvest their dividends. So those that do, it's done automatically yeah. without any tax yeah. burden here. So look, there's pros to it. As you said, it, it's not a good sign. It does show that they're under stress and under pressure. Um, but let's let's see they, they they seem to be confident they can come out of this but they have to yeah. get through this litigation and i suppose we, we've talked about that a lot with 3m buyer 
it, it's a long road. It's a it's yeah. a long road. But actually, you're diluting your shareholder base now with almost five percent, right? I I don't know if the full amount will be in shares and such, but that's a lot of shareholder dilution. Yeah, I have a lot. None none of us have shares in Philips anyway, so it's no effect to us. Um, no. Another interesting one talking about litigation. We were quick to praise Johnson and Johnson last week, and maybe we are a little bit too quick because it seems that their bankruptcy petition has been dismissed in the US. Yes, yeah, so we were all the time saying like Bayer, 3M, they should go on an internship <laughs> there with uh, the GNG lawyers. Yeah, but uh, yeah, now we've been uh, a bit over optimistic there, I think. But uh, there's now an interesting question. You were doubting about 3M as a holding because of the litigation. Yeah. How do you think about uh, Johnson Johnson now? So I think the key difference for me here is the cost, the estimated cost of litigation. So I've, I've, uh, I've been so busy this week, I haven't really dug into the numbers. But from what I've been reading on Seeking Alpha and other things, it, I seem to be getting mixed between about 5 billion and 10 billion is going to be the, yeah. the estimated total cost. I mean, these guys generate free cash for over about 20 billion. So it's 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 less than half that. And their yeah. dividends is what 11, 12 billion. So, so they can pay it out of pocket if they want to. They could they could pay it out of pocket, but it's going to be spread over two or three years. So I don't really yeah. see an impact to either dividend or even dividend growth. I still actually or think even they, the balance sheet. Yeah, yeah, I still think that they can cover. So I think that's that's the key difference. I have to be sure that that's the the amount. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. But from what I'm reading, that seems to be the estimated figure. And once they can comfortably cover that, I'm yeah. I'm happy to stay with, with Johnson & Johnson. OK, cool. Hey, and um, Intel reported earnings like last Thursday, right? And uh, we were a bit early with our show then. What do you think about Intel's dividend? I just cannot see them keeping that dividend this year. I, I think it's going to be cut. I really yeah, think it's me going too. to be cut. Me too. Um, expecting to be cut. It's interesting to watch the share price. So we, we were obviously, we jumped from the show onto yeah. uh, our chat with, with Dividend uh, Day and it dropped 9%, which I predicted. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but it's rebounded. It's it's rebounded the full nine percent, which is yeah. which is crazy. But I think that's based on overall market. And uh, mm. was it Amazon or somebody else po uh, posted positive positive results as well? So it's 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 always interesting around earnings, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I also think that the dividend is cut, and I, uh, and we said it often on the show that for us it's a turnaround play, and we're waiting till twenty twenty five, right? Yeah. But Pat Gelsinger didn't look good with this report because they just did kind of a they're a downgrade in their own guidance, I think, in October last year, November last year, and now again. So I mean, engineering, he seems to be doing the right stuff, but they need to get their financial act together. And Sven Carlin made a video where he even called it fraud that uh, the company is now increasing the depreciation period or the life lifespan yes. of the machines from five to eight years so therefore you they get like a four billion earnings windfall now guys we always preach free crash cash flow here for a reason yeah cash is king you see in the cash flow statement uh, much more leaner what it truly is is earning in cash and you you kind of with that ignore all the accounting tricks that they are trying to do like companies like ibm as well right so 
uh, guys always look at the free cash flow statements don't just look at the earnings uh, the eps number yeah yeah it's it, I mean, look, it doesn't look too good i think a lot of the bull case around intel seems to be around the chips act and all this america trying to protect that industry because it's going to be overtaken by china i think that's the biggest bull case for them at the moment yeah but also some of the new chips coming uh coming into the market and then the deal with asml so i'm i'm actually quite 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 bullish on their long-term future because they they you know they are now in survival mode and they are not anymore complacent like they were like in the bob swan right yeah so i really feel like uh, and technology it takes a lot of capex but also technology develops quick so if they really get these asml machines and they can put the proper design on the chips there they will they will probably straight away have a leading uh edge here compared to their competitors right so that that's where my bullishness comes from uh and but again it's for me this 10 percent of where i've got also other stocks like uh google meta and uh, baba if um if i wasn't invested I have, I have a small position in them again if i wasn't invested i probably would sit on the sidelines for at least 12 months i i, I don't yeah I don't, yeah yeah exactly exactly i don't see the rush i mean i'm not buying these guys again unless they drop under 20 dollars because the, the yeah. risk the risk to reward then is, is greater for me but if i yeah. if i wasn't invested i would i would wait a little bit longer because i think this turnaround play might be longer than what we anticipate yeah that's what i think as well and i i would also wait a little bit for the dividend cut but i think it would even have a positive uh response to it i i have my thoughts about buying again around 25 dollars. so okay. i've got now 1.2 percent of my portfolio in, in intel i can have like up to two percent in there uh my average cost base is probably in the high 30s yeah so i feel like i actually haven't really uh average down yet on, on my initial costs so that's where i'm still thinking that at 25 dollars i will nibble in a bit again yeah cool and speaking of we're talking about litigation we're talking about intel we're talking johnson johnson interestingly 3m usually announced the dividend in the first week of february we haven't heard that yet what's yeah. what's, what's your thoughts are, are they going to because it's been marginal raises hasn't it the <clears> last two years I think a one cent increase, maybe a half a cent increase, maybe even a 0 0.25 increase per quarter and then one cent overall. But I think they will try to keep the streak, but that's it. Because also, look, I, I, I mentioned that also in my video about Intel and I see 3M the same. And it was also, and I learned this with General Electric. So why, why these companies are so committed to the dividend? Because we don't have this culture in Europe, right? We we if we are lucky we can buy some shares in our company but in, in our company but if you look at America stock compensation is often a large part of compensation and you need to know that the generations before us they were were working for forty years in 3M imagine how many shares you would have accumulated yeah so if you're then in retirement you get your like little retirement income but the dividends of all those i don't know few hundred thousand dollars of shares you still have you become dependent on 3m if 3m will cut the dividend if intel will cut the dividend they will put a lot of their old employees retirees potentially into financial distress because i don't have a lot of illusion that those retirees are thinking about diversifying and such because their life was around 3m 
And that's why I think that those CEOs find it so difficult to cut the dividend in America as well, because these are former colleagues that they are yeah. talking about, right? So um, this is really, and, and probably a whole town, communities. Yeah. So yeah. this is why I think they will not do it and try to do a token increase as long as the litigation is still up in the air. Yeah. I, I think a dividend cut from 3M would impact their share price a lot more than a dividend cut from Intel. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think so because they are dividend king in 64 years yeah. and, and a lot of people would wrongfully, but maybe just invest in these types of companies because they're dividend king. So I think that yeah. would have a, a big impact. But we'll, we'll see next week. Next week they should release whether yeah. they're, they're cutting, keeping the same or, or increasing. But I mean, I'm interested to watch. Um, earnings, baby. We have a lot of earnings to get through, and there's a lot that we can't get through. So we'll 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 do our best. But I think we have to start with Shell. I, I don't think that's any surprise. I think we have to start there. Yeah, I mean, big oil, baby. Uh, oil, oil, oil. Now, I mean, we have been uh, in the start of the podcast series, right? We were talking about Shell that we were buying shares at that time and such. Let's start with the with what's the most important: a fifteen percent dividend hike they're hiking the dividends from 25 cents dollar right cents per quarter to 28.75 cents per per quarter 15 percent i mean this is giving me a really nice bump also in my uh, projected annual dividend income because it was my biggest position so at least in my upcoming annual report i hope that i can say that i'm going to beat the six percent average increase uh, on the year it, i would be so happy with this if, if i at least once uh, reach my own plan but come on you know they had 15.5 billion in free cash flow I think this was probably the, the the biggest free cash flow per quarter they ever had, fifteen point five yeah. billion. I mean, this was a stellar year, and I think over the whole year they had forty six billion in free cash flow. Forty six billion. These are Apple numbers that we're used to. Yeah. I mean, crazy, crazy. They are nicely on their capex plan with twenty five billion. So that's going well. Um, what I also like is that they're gearing, and I believe they had always this goal to have the gearing around, I don't know, 25% or something like that, 24%. It was 23% at the end of 2021, and it's now 18.9%, 19%. So they're aiming also for a double A credit rating uh, from what I've been uh, yeah. reading. Not sure if they have it already like that. I forgot about that. But I mean, this is becoming such a rock-solid balance sheet uh, there. They have now an earnings per share of 5.43. I mean, if you if you look at it, uh, listeners, you will probably think like, oh, a 5 PE, don't trap, uh, don't step step into this trap because you know the 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 PEs are really low at peak earnings uh, for these companies. So so watch out with that one. What I generally uh, also like is that what they that the fact that they bought British BP in 2016 at the first oil crisis was really a golden opportunity. Yeah. They have paid it already back uh, effectively in uh, cash flow several times because I think they bought it uh, uh, for 60 billion, but now they have a, a cash flow just in one quarter of 6.4 billion, uh, and the quarter before 6.7 billion. I mean. <laughs> 
just 13 billion in half a year, right? In, uh, in, in cash flow from integrated gas. Upstream is 7.2, so it's almost the same. And then, of course, some of the other uh, units are starting to make money as well. Um, what I like actually also is that their capex, their investments, are now really split one third in growth, one third in transition, and one third in upstream. So when we talk about growth, this is like uh, what they are doing utilities, wind parks, uh, all these kinds of things. Uh, even I think they're building these electric charging stations and such and, and, and rolling them out. I think they bought also some of those uh, small companies. I really like that, right? And then because we're talking about capital allocation and the other capital allocation between uh, besides investments and um, dividends is buybacks. They reduced their share count from, from 7.6 billion uh, outstanding shares to 7 billion. So that's a reduction of 8.5%. So they have a dividend policy of at least 4% annual uh, dividend growth. Now put 8.5% on top of that by the share reduction, and you're talking already about 12.5%. So what they're really giving us is a 6.5%, uh, well, 7% dividend growth. But just you see here now the power of share buybacks and fully out of their cash flow because they have been reducing their debt at the same time. So this is why we have a 15% dividend hike. It's really this, it's the buybacks. Yeah, and you can see it in the cash flow statement also over time that uh, let's say in the last quarter they paid 1.8 billion in um, in in dividends and and then 1.7 and a bit in in dividends. So that's how you see that, right? So for me this is excellent capital uh, allocation and it's a pity that Ben van Burde left but I'm glad that the new CEO got the opportunity to give us this great news of the dividend hike. I, I was just going to say you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say what a start from the new CEO. I mean he could not dream of a better start. These numbers you you quite rightly said it's it's like looking at a big tech stock here. It's 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 incredible the return to shareholders, the reduction in debt. I, I, I remember not so long ago they were at 70 billion and they're down around 44 billion now. So I, I don't think they're double A yet, but I would not be surprised to see them reach that status this year or, or the following year. I, I don't know what the criteria is, but they're, they're well on course. But it's it's a super start and 15% hike is just the icing on the cake there. So what what a start. Um, but you you gotta you got to remember, guys, that it's not always like this with Shell. It's going to be cyclical. It'll be up and down. You have to enjoy when it's up, and that's that's simply all, all we're doing. But it, it won't stay like this quarter after quarter after quarter. Who, who knows what will happen be, by the end of the year? Uh, but the dividend safety... Oh, it's... Because, it's uh, yeah, be, because this was not the case after the oil crisis 2016 up till 2020. It was borderline safe all the time, yeah? So they took they took it on the chin, and now we have a really strong balance sheet, um, seven and a half billion, I think, in, in in dividend payments annually. On 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 typical cash flows, they are really in a in a safe range. Also at this at the bottom of a cycle. Yeah, yeah, that and that's the one thing I really like. They've really set themselves up. They've used this mini gold rush that that we've had, and they've yeah. set themselves up for for future. So it's, I think it's I think it's really good. It's a testament to to Ben who's who's left us, but it's um it's 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 good opportunity I think for the new CEO as well because he can he yeah. really has a lot of cash there. He's got a, a lot of opportunities now to to really put his foot into the company and and 
take it take it forward so which earnings uh, reports uh, stood out to you so i've looked at a couple all three i looked at because they're one of the highest positions in my portfolio mainly because i was trading one option so i have uh, multiples of hundreds of their shares so it, it's it's always interesting of me for me to, to look at these guys i mean it, it's a typical tobacco story isn't it sale volumes are down yet they've grown their revenues how do they do that quite simply by increasing prices it's it's just the, it's just their business model it's it's built into them their sales volume was actually down 12 percent and they've grown the revenue by two percent so they must have increased their their prices in around the 14 percent market um what's interesting is that their earnings per share was up five percent half of that is basically due to share buybacks we know they've been aggressive in in their share buybacks that's going to start to taper down next year um so you can see the returns coming from from those share buybacks Another interesting fact for me is also that the vapor, another e-vapor that they have, that's also declining. That sales is declining as well. So a lot of their growth is going to come from price increases and buying back shares. They are talking about, they didn't announce it yet, but there is talks that they're going to sell their stake in ticker symbol BUD, Budweiser. Um, they think they have about 11 billion there. So once they sell that, that led to their cash flow, which improves the dividend safety as well and they're also due another billion or two from i think it's philip morris as well um for their stake in is it jewel or something i yeah. can't remember from it i think it's jewel yeah so th they have plenty of cash coming in their cash their dividend is safe i mean they pay the their policies to pay out 80 percent in 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 dividends and that still leaves me with 1.5 billion which they use to either pay down some debt which they've been doing aggressively as well and share share buyback so for me this is as i said it's like a bond that share price is not going to go anywhere you've got a really high dividend yield of eight percent you're going to have virtually no growth but pricing power comes into play here and i think for the next two to three years i think they're okay to have but i think philip morris will then start breaking into the u.s market a bit more don't they? i think they have yeah. some agreement from 2024 that they can move some of the non-tobacco markets there so we might start to see philip morris then a little bit more competitive over there yeah and i think they wanted to remerge not too long ago but i think it was rejected um what my issue is with when i hear you talking is it feels like they they are trying to sell the last crown jewels they have yeah from the from the old uh, family maybe uh, that's how it feels so yeah. I hope they spend this money wisely because otherwise what's there for the company yeah i mean look is there any growth catalyst that you see is there any catalyst i don't I, the only catalyst in growth is share buybacks that's the only thing you can see in with them i mean they haven't made good decisions buying jewel chronos i mean they've made some historically bad decisions there so it's it's hard for me to see any sort of growth here it, it's really just a high yield play the whole for maybe two years and then when philip morris comes yeah. back into the us market it's probably a good time to sell but the, i i didn't see anything in this report i think i, I didn't think it was disappointing because they can mm. they can increase their prices but i just don't see a growth catalyst here for these yeah
Well, um, then I will also uh, do my confession of a uh, high-yield alcoholic, let's say, <laughs> because I've got Omega Healthcare in my portfolio as a yield play, not as a growth play, but just for high income. Um, I think if I go to my portfolio, I would sh I would see that it probably paid like 25 to 40% already back in dividends of my entire investment. So that was also my thesis. Um, but the results were ugly. Uh, it was as expected that they were ugly. So if you think about funds from operations, they are actually at a 13 cents negative per share. If you look at adjusted funds from operations, they had 73% common share, which is uh, more than the 67% uh, 67 cents in dividends that they are paying already for many, many quarters. Yeah. What I really like with, with, with this company is Taylor Pickett, the CEO, he is just a straight shooter. So he, he mentions here, as we previously announced, our first quarter earnings will be further impacted by deferred rents associated with additional operators restructurings. Bearing additional unforeseen restructurings, we would expect our operating performance to improve as the year progresses and operating restructures are completed. However, with both facility occupancy and profitability still meaningful below the pre-pandemic levels, the risk of further operating issues remains. And this is what I so much like about the CEO. Just says what it is about, doesn't, uh, I said, uh, sugarcoat everything, committed to the dividends. Um, but then, for instance, during the fourth quarter, again, uh, Agemo, uh, one of their um, operators, they continue to not pay its contractual rent and interest due under its lease and loan agreements. Then healthcare homes, a UK-based operating uh, operator, two and a half percent of their um, uh, uh, rent income, are also uh, deferring uh, their their rent. They they ask, let's say, postponement for paying it till April. So this is they are the, the nice thing is in these contracts is that how to say it, say it in simple language. Um, I guess Omega Healthcare gets the authority then to restructure those and for instance if they go bankrupt or whatever to sell the assets and 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 or to do something else with it right so they're really at the moment they're just like kind of a debt collector in my opinion uh, that's trying to still get the assets and sell them and and trying to do this for a positive return or find someone else to get in there and that's impacting them um what i do like in general is also what the ceo is saying that um, Medicaid, I believe, has been increasing the the, the compensation and so uh, and such, also to the nursing uh, facility uh, operators. So it is going well, but generally the industry is weak. But they still see the the long term growth catalyst of, of of the boomers, right? So for me, this dividend could be cut any moment. When you think about when you look just at the statistics. But I think they don't. The CEO doesn't feel he needs to cut it yet, uh, while they are doing all this restructuring because there's still light in the end of the tunnel. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to to watch it play out and, and like that. It's it's one of those ones where if you're you're in it quite quite some time, which is, which is yeah. fine. But if you're going into it now for just the high yield, I think it's a little bit more riskier now than it was four years ago. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Four years ago, these problems were hardly surfacing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, interesting. I'm going to shift gears a little bit and and go to 
a European company again, which is ABB. It's a company I follow. I have a couple of shares in a trading 212 point that I add to automatically, but it's a company that I, I really like because I, I use a lot of their products. But I have to say their full year report wasn't really too great. I, I know they're coming off a high base. 2021 was, was really a strong year for them. We had lots of orders they were struggling for parts of their order book built up and there was people scared they weren't going to be able to order more so they're ordering lots more so i know they're coming from a high base but we were starting to see particularly in the last quarter that orders are starting to drop significantly particularly in robotics and automation um, which is the one that i'm definitely most interested in but we can start to see that taper down now to a, to a new base level in saying that the revenues are up roughly two to three percent their free cash flow was down mainly due to working capital they've added a little bit to their debt because they've been buying quite some companies actually particularly in the electrification segment which they're really trying to push and it's doing quite well for them and they've bought a couple in the motion segment as well um this year their main focuses are to just improve that improve revenue growth and they really want to focus on the free cash flow, so they're going to drive down working capital. And again, what I do like is that they're continuing to reward shareholders. So they're proposing to increase the dividend again and to continue their share buybacks for 2023. So I, I really think I think we're starting to see a base level for them now. I know 2021 was a high level, so I'm more interested to see where they can grow from from 2023 on. Nice one, nice one. It's uh, one of those engineering companies that you like, so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I use their products and I really, really like the company and I really want to own them. They're still overvalued for my liking. Um, I think this earnings is a little bit disappointing. I haven't checked, but I assume the share price might have dropped a little bit based on orders dropping. I think it was like 12% last quarter, so I'm, I'm assuming yeah. that might be a drop, but I need these to drop another 10, 15% before I i'll start adding them to my real yeah. portfolio cool 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 yeah so uh, then also for me still uh quickly uh i mean this this european company continues to amaze me i mean if there's one cat worldwide catalyst is, is like it's like unhealthy living and effectively just people that are oversized so in this case novo novo nordisk sales went up by 25 percent derek 25 percent year over year that's like you increase your business by a fourth imagine how much growth that is for any company a fourth right and there's not a new company um eps grew by 18 percent they hiked their dividend by 19 percent to 12.4 uh, danish crowns and this is already, I don't know, uh, they've been paying dividends since 1997, continuous growth. I mean, it's really, really amazing. So if you look at it right, um, sales in North America increased by 35%. So, uh, I mean, sales with diabetes and obesity care increased 29%. I mean, people start eating more healthier that's the only thing i can say here when i see the novo nordisk results i'm bloody frustrated because i wanted to buy them around 400 um, danish crowns around the COVID period 
but that's the issue it was a candy store at the moment i looked at other companies i wasn't so smart yet to focus more on higher quality of course it flew away um it's gone for me hopefully it will ever come back it should be one time but uh, what a company what a company it's, it's probably after asml one of the best companies at the moment in europe yeah, I mean, it's it's frightening in a way, though. Obesity care sales grew by 101%. It's 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 frightening, isn't it, what's, what's happening out there? And on one side, you, you have companies that are pushing health and, and healthy options, and, and we use that as a growth catalyst, that people yeah. are going to focus on that. And then you look on the other side and you see Novo Nordisk, and then you have to think, is it a growth catalyst? Because... Are people really following this because they're getting sucked in by too many ads, getting sucked in by the candy store, McDonald's, whatever it is? I yeah. mean, it's just, it's just, um, it's, it's frightening, but serious numbers from Nova Nordisk. And, and I know we spoke around COVID about buying these. We both didn't. And I think we both sincerely <laughs> regretted it Regrets. ever since. Yeah. I, I think shortly after COVID, it was probably about two months after, and it, it just flew. Yeah, you had a really short window of opportunity. It was like really short. Yeah, yeah so it's it's a shame. But I mean, I know lots of our community hold this company, and I'm, I'm happy for them. But it's, 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 yeah. And I mean, congratulations with your 19% salary increase yeah i mean infla inflation who cares about seven percent inflation if you're getting a 19 percent increase in your wages so um definitely a powerhouse of of europe and um one of our greatest assets i would say yeah and then the last one i don't know if we can call it an entire european company but swiss-based uh chub they had uh, a really nice uh, quarter as well an um, eps of 3.3 dollar and 13 cents uh, for the quarter and for the full year 12 dollars and 55 cents uh, the return on equity for them that's why you need to look a little bit at this company was 9.6 percent um so they, which is pretty good yeah if you get a 10 uh, return on equity and I believe their combined ratio is one of the key metrics uh, for a company like them is uh, around 85, 87%. Uh, Effectively, it means like they earn a little bit more in premiums than that they need to uh, pay in, uh, you know, claims. So that's what we're talking here about. Um, you know, uh, for me, it was the company I bought with my Disney money when I sold Disney at $100 it's now uh, $209 uh, so it's already two bagger dividend per share currently 332 uh, they still need to pay one quarter in the same uh, amount and then I expect a hike but they have been all the time hiking quite relatively conservative over the last few years but what this company does is like once in the five to eight years it suddenly has a big bump yeah, so the payout ratio is now 26%. The yield is 1.5%. So I think it's really due for a double-digit hike, uh, maybe around the second quarter somewhere. So that's my okay. hope, hope teammate, or how you say it, hope estimate. Yeah. Yes, yes. Let's let's keep an eye and see what the dividend increase. Um, I think actually it's a good point to move on to our segment where we talk about dividend increases because there's quite a few to go through um i do have a fun fact to to share because i know you just mentioned you hope they have a big increase in january there was 45 double digit dividend hikes in the u.s this is the u.s now just the u.s 
um, with 111 increases announced in January. That's incredible. And the average, actually, the average dividend hike was 12.8%, just in the first month of the year. Yeah. Who says dividend investing is boring and not, <laughs> not, not, what was it always like, uh, not gonna make it, I think was what the crypto crowd was telling us. Yeah. yeah? We, I mean, people talk about total return as well. You won't yeah. make total return and, and, and all this. I mean, the evidence is out there. It's, it's possible. Exactly, so it, it's there. But I just thought that was was a fun fact. If, if that's if that's the start of the year, we're in for a hell of a year, guys. Yeah. I, shall I quickly run through them? Yeah, there's loads. Okay. So we know about Philips spinoffs, right? They always yes. do better. So NXP semiconductors hikes the dividend by twenty percent. Ticker symbol NXPI. Uh, if you look for the American symbol, what is cool in 2019 they paid like twenty five cents per quarter. Now they pay a dollar per quarter. So four times more, you can get it for 1.7% uh, yield. Uh, it was trading not too long ago, $460. Then you pay get 2.5% yield. I'm seriously considering doing some uh, analysis on this stock because this is a really, really heavy dividend grower. And if one of the listeners um, owns NXP and, and could explain a little bit more why they own it, Please put it on the Facebook for us and, and please put some words. I'm really interested uh, uh, to learn a bit more. Um, Asa Abloy, our lock, uh, locksmith, yeah, that we always make fun of. Uh, company uh, hiked the dividend by 14% to 4.8 Swedish crowns. Novartis hikes the dividend by, unfortunately, only 3.2% to 3.2 Swiss franc, 29th year of a growing dividend. Roche increased the dividend by 9.3 Swiss franc to 9.5 Swiss franc. I believe it's a 36 year of a growing dividend. Yeah. K KPN, the Dutch one, the Dutch telecom provider, hikes the forecasted dividend by 4.9%. Sanofi hikes the dividend by 6.9%. And honestly, um, also someone on Twitter mentioned it, uh, that was unexpected. For me, it was also unexpected because yeah. the company is not, in my opinion, with their pipeline struggling. struggling. Yeah, exactly. Then let's make a small shift to the other side of the pond to America. Church and Dwight hikes the dividend by 3.8%, ticker symbol CHD. UPS hikes the dividend by 6.6% after last year, I believe, hiking it with 50%. Gilead Sciences hikes the dividend by 2.7%, ticker symbol GILD. CME Group, Moody's, MMSCI, all hike their dividends with 10%. Now, then there is also bad news. Electrolux, they propose that they will pay no dividend over 2022. So an entire dividend cut after, I think, 10 or 11 years of uh, decent dividend growth again. So really, really, really disappointing. Uh, I, I don't think many people own it, but still. And GSK, I mean they they didn't mention anything new they had the spin-off they reset the dividends and they, they kind of keep it as it is so which i think is also a bit disappointing for some gsk owners yeah yeah some some really good companies there some really great dividend hikes it's interesting to see well for me cme group moody's and msci all in and around the same bracket all with 10 percent hikes as well so um, no, interesting, and and Europe is is keeping up with the US this this month. I have to say. Oh, right? definitely, definitely, Europe. they're doing doing very well. 
Okay, we have a portfolio review from William, which was emailed into us, and it's the email was fairly extensive. I have to say, it's probably one of the best ones we've got in terms of explanation and thoughts in and around the the portfolio. Um, maybe you want to talk through a little bit of how it's how it's structured, and then we'll try and talk a little bit about it. Yeah, so uh, William, he is a theme-based investor, and that's what I really like. So um, it's not it's not necessarily my style. I look at more like sectors, uh, kind of, but really high level, the eleven sectors, right? But generally, I just look at individual businesses and whether I like them or not, and then I think about what's the catalyst, right? For instance, aging population and and such. But he turned it around. He, he rather looks, let's say, at first one, for instance infrastructure but then based on for instance climate change a shifting globalization framework sustainability he looks at those factors right um another one is transportation like how the how the how, how the world is and the globalization is shifting right and then then yes there are some uh, advanced materials or value-oriented consumables so it's really interesting to see a theme-based portfolio but that's also exactly straight away one of my feedbacks. This is not a pure dividend growth portfolio, right? And usually we look, you and I look at an angle from dividend growth. So this makes it for me already harder to, to really um, uh, say something meaningful because I'm not a total return investor. Uh, total return is something what I expect because I'm a dividend growth investor. And my emphasis is, of course, on growth. If there's no growth, then why why you can't expect a dividend to grow either yeah so that's that's maybe the main one but then if i look at it i think it's a really smart setup portfolio so if you look at uh, inf uh infrastructure he, he for instance a symbol acm uh, acom is an engineering design firm that works directly on assisting with major building projects so he's really really particular also waste management is in here or jack jacobs yeah uh, you might know this firm as well I know they are big in the oil and gas industry as well as a uh, uh, engineering uh, procurement contractor. Um, I really like this way of um, of thinking here. Have have a bit of the industry leaders in there, and it's just not my style of investing. So I find it a bit hard to give a meaningful uh, feedback on here. For instance, if I look at transportation, yes, uh, Zim in there. You used it for dividend capture. Um, he knows also um, that th that those dividends are at risk for payout. For me, it feels with that that there's a lot of also capital uh, risk, yeah, risk of uh, capital loss here. But again, it's a bit hard for me because I don't never look with such an angle to such an uh, uh, portfolio. Yeah, I think I think it's a really interesting way to structure a portfolio. It's well thought out, and you spoke about growth catalysts. And if if you look at each subheading, I would say that he has like infrastructure, transport. Actually, when you sit back and look at it, they have to grow. They're they're definitely an inherent growth catalyst with, exactly. within them. I don't know all the companies that he has, particularly around infrastructure. But from the companies that I do know, particularly shipping, advanced materials. Um, and so on. There's some quality, quality names in there. Um, he has Texas Instruments in there. He has Ingredion in there. He has Hershey's, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Walmart. Uh, he's got Realty Income. Um, Blackstone is in there. 
um, Apple, Microsoft is in there. So there's some really good companies. He also has the Azure, which I liked. He, he couldn't find couldn't find a particular spot for it, so stuck it in under miscellaneous. But I do really think that it is a growth-oriented portfolio. I think he's definitely looking at total, total return. I don't know enough about all the companies to, to get a good feel of whether dividend growth is going to be high. But he has ha made some interesting remarks, particularly around fixed income. Um, so in his opinion, fixed income exposure is important to any portfolio, and it shocks him how little exposure so many dividend-oriented portfolios have. Um, he has 40 ETFs and one BDC. Um, for me, personally, and, and I see that, so. Uh, some of the ticker symbols he has is angel a n g l um horizon h r z n then he's got ticker symbol j p i b and ticker symbol tlt and just reading his description of these companies one of them is venture debt one of them is international bonds one of them is treasuries and um, one of them is investment grade corporate bonds and then another one is a high yield corporate bond I think that says enough of why a lot of dividend oriented investors don't get involved in these because they sound really complex and risky. They might not be. I, disclaimer, I don't know enough about these to say if they are or not, but they seem a little bit more complicated than looking at a Johnson Johnson, Texas Instruments, Blackstone, for example. Um, fixed income definitely seems maybe risky but maybe there's a steeper learning curve with them what do you think um not my circle of competence that's actually just here i can also get high yield dividend growth stocks uh or uh, i mean omega healthcare is not a growth part of dividend stocks but yeah just not my circle of competence uh, it's for me a bit too difficult to to learn as well to really understand what it is and i also you know etfs in general dividend growth from etfs is really tricky right specifically for europeans and having access to it because yeah he has also some of those uh um i said uh, the, the river income ETFs. yeah exactly i i don't have access to it so I don't even spend time on learning it yeah, yeah. so that, that's kind of where i'm at a disadvantage and I, I fully understand this point he's probably right the bcds i hear a lot about that and it seems to be really attractive some really good ones out there uh but i have yet to find uh also passion for it to invest in this yeah, uh, yeah. And, and i think that's also important so it's not just only like the golden uh, mountain at the end of the rainbow it is also whether you have, if it excites you even to think about it and i don't have that so yeah yeah so i think our, our key takeaways are structure it looks absolutely wonderful well thought out i think a lot more investors could do it not following it exactly but the thinking behind it i think is is important lots of top quality names but we don't know enough about some of the tickers and some of the instruments in here to to give a full honest opinion but from a dividend growth perspective the companies we do know are pretty damn solid so i think it's um i think it's a good portfolio overall cool okay time then for some of the listeners questions and the first one is from dave dave Nespecialista, and he is asking what our thoughts are about levi strauss take a symbol levi so um 
I, I looked it up and it passes my screener criteria. It has a PE of 14 at the moment. It pays 48 cents in dividends um, annually. Um, last year it paid, let's say, so now 12 cents per quarter. It was 10 cent per quarter before, so it's like a 20% dividend hike. At the moment it's uh, having a 3.2% dividend yield according to the NASDAQ website. Um, but the payout ratio is relatively low um, because the EPS is estimated to be $1.34. So, um, so far it actually passes all the screener criteria. It's of course an iconic brand, Levi's. Um, so yeah, it might be worth, worth a deeper look, I would say. And yeah, uh, so, so from a screening point of view, it looks okay. Yeah, from a, from a screening point of view, it, it looks okay. My my body be similar to VFC at the moment, and and apparel's they might they might struggle over the next year or two, particularly in, in the current market. But brand power certainly have it, um, and it does pass my my initial screen as well. So it looks good. But what I do find is that when we get listener questions, they always seem to pass our screeners. Most of them, because a lot of people do the do diligence. It's just some companies are not on our radar which is yeah. why it's always interesting to to have these so thank you for that Dave. um gordon has he said his head is spinning from all the adjusted earnings this week i think this was actually last week um how you how do you deal with that dismiss them take them into consideration case by case most of the time i ignore them um yeah most of the time i just ignore them and I, I do my own calculation, right? Uh, I look just at the net income of the income statement and they need to put the real EPS there. I look what that is. And then if I see a big delta between the adjusted EPS, I usually go to the commentary because they need to specify where the difference is from. And then you can read it. And if you then look into the, it's usually a table in every report where they add back earnings in because of one-time events. And then uh, I can judge, is this just a result of management decisions or is it really like something like the external that they couldn't do anything. But for instance, for me, restructuring, I never like it when they take that out of the EPS because those businesses that nowadays, they are continuously restructuring. When you're like a, a company with 100,000 employees, there's always a restructuring going on, always. So for me, it is just part of business and shouldn't be left out of the EPS as an example. But if you have like really like a one-time tax event or something like that, or a one-time pension liability write-off uh, or, or like contribution, I can imagine that you, you keep it out for comparison, but it's still like uh, a result of, for instance, underfunding the pension liabilities over all those years. So actually bumping up the EPS in the past and then take a one-off. So, you know, in the end, almost everything is management decisions. So I tend to ignore the adjusted earnings. Um, Keep Walking has asked us, do we have any investment in CEFs, which is closed end funds? I did until the loophole in ibrk remember when everybody was buying all these shares and i said it's 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 not going to happen so i could buy cefs for about two years absolutely no problem this loophole got abused 
not only did that get shut off, but also my ability to buy closed end funds. So what I've done actually this month is I've sold all of them. If if I can't buy any more, there's no point in me, me holding them. I was only adding a, a small portion as I was going along. Um so yeah, not an, not anymore. Not anymore. I'm afraid that's <laughs> taken away from me. No. Hey Santrino is asking if you want to buy shell right now, which stock exchange uh would you buy it and which currency? Oh, I, I hold them on the Amsterdam stock exchange yeah. uh, still, but I would probably buy them on the local one, maybe. Well, I think if you're in a euro-based currency zone, it's maybe good to keep there. You pay 15% dividend withholding, no, 0% dividend withholding tax, so that doesn't really matter, and you don't have currency risk. So, But otherwise, I would, in my case, with the Zloty, I would now buy in rather in pounds yeah. than in euro. But I have already my whole position in euro, and I keep it there, because I, I usually like, like you say, I like to have have them at the local exchange where they trade. Uh, but of course, Shell is a little bit blended because it was dual listed for for fifty or sixty years, right? Yeah, yeah. So when I when I bought them, they were on uh, Amsterdam, which technically yeah. the local exchange, which is where yeah. I bought them. But if I was buying them now, it would probably be London. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jacob has been investing for over a year and now once again largely green on all his investments due to the recent run when monthly investing how do you decide what stocks to buy and dollar cost average in he's finding it harder to choose buying up yeah. the way than it is when the price is falling down yeah this is psychology that we all go through we all need to learn it and this is one of the hardest things uh, to do you know what's helping me jacob I know what I want to pay for a company. So if you would draw a line, yeah, like a, a line from on the chart from left to right, and it goes steep, uh, let's say it goes up towards the right, just a linear line. If you then start, let's say, putting waves of, as a pendulum over that, then you know when it's kind of overvalued and when it's kind of undervalued uh, based on my valuation. Every time when it's undervalued, I find it a reason to buy. Yes, so and then dollar cost averaging up becomes less of a problem because you then get in your mind, oh, actually it's overvalued, so I can still buy something. If, if before I didn't have that, and then every your price anchored on your in your, on your lowest buy, and then it's really, really, really hard. But I'm sure you buy then another stock where you initiate a position. Um, quite easily, although you could see that it was maybe half a year, 20% uh, lower, right? So it's really, really mixing up the minds, uh, I would say. Yeah, it's it's almost like pretending you don't own that stock already. Yes, and, yeah, exactly. And, and still see if you want to buy them. And if you do, yeah. buy them. Yeah. So in some cases, what people do is they just automate it. They just have an automatic order. Every, every week, they buy one share. Yeah, some people do that. Uh, I, I think yeah. Russ did it 100 weeks. Yeah. One yeah. share of Pepsi every Monday morning. Then you take the emotions out of it. Yeah. Uh, we we have this problem sometimes too. I had it with, with Microsoft. So it's you're you're not alone. It's it's a constant battle. But I think sometimes it's depending on the company. Sometimes it's easier. Um, but I think pretending you don't own the company and still if you still think it's a fair price, I think that's a good a good way to approach it. Um, Herman has asked us our thoughts on Lydell Basel, ticker symbol LYB. Are they on your watch list? They are on my watch list, but I have not 
put the time in to analyze them. So I, I, I can't give I can't give an honest feedback on them. I, I do know I, I had them in my portfolio before because the dividend growth investor invested in him when I was following him in the beginning. I, I took him out and put him on the list to to analyze and go through, and I haven't. What I do know is that they nearly went bankrupt before, or they did go bankrupt, and they did cut their dividend before. So that that's probably the main reason why I've not put as much time into them so i don't know i know that i know recently over the last five or six years the dividend growth has been quite good um i just don't understand uh, not understand but I, I don't know enough about the business or, or growth aspects to to give it an honest answer but they they are on my watch list but probably low down on my watch list i would say yeah and they have a pe of seven seven and a half yeah and a 5.5 percent dividend so i can understand that it pops up on a lot of radars I need to look into it one more time again. Cool. Uh, Tiago has asked us, Intel earnings were not great, but the stock is tra trading above what is prior to earnings. Did you bet against Pat? No, you never bet against Pat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you if you want to make money if you want to make money with Inc intel okay <laughs> all you have to do is sell cover calls before earnings it'll drop <laughs> cash out exactly and then, and then exactly. cash secure puts and it'll go up again um, it, it's 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 after happening i i think six last six earnings in a row it's it's nearly predictable at this stage it's it's quite funny but yeah. um no we did not bet against pat we did not bet um George has asked us any thought on the real estate market in Europe, Venovia, and like worth the trouble? No. Yeah, the, the, the European real estate market is complex and hard, and companies like Venovia are struggling at the moment. So I do recommend listening to that podcast we had with the CEO of the Fama as well, Matthias. Yeah. Um, it's it gives some really really good insights um around european markets so for me i i don't hold any any at the moment in europe i think realty income is the only one that i have so yeah i've got cbus but you need to know i am aware of the risks and these are really so i work with this tier four system right so for me i i don't own vanovia and i don't need it i own some defama yeah uh, and i own then some cbus and Cebus for me, I know the risk. I see the risk. It's a debt profile. It's so, such a small position that I sleep well at night. Um, but if you're still, for instance, in your early stage, the first two years, personally, I would stay away from it. Too much risks. And we really don't know what's in those balance sheets. We really don't know. We really don't know. For instance, uh, these, these real estate companies, they depend a lot on the valuation of their assets. As soon as they start to write down, you get really screwed. Yes, so, hmm. and it's not a liquid market at times. Yeah, a lot to think about. Um, Jarrison has asked us, what value do you go for asset abloy? Uh, I, I don't know yet, Jarrison, and I really want to run it through. I got this question several times today uh, because I put a tweet out on asset abloy that I would like to have it sooner than later i'm thinking even just about buying one share if it's needed just to have it in my portfolio and that i can say that i own it um it, it looks 
bloody expensive really expensive but i want to run it through my discounted cash flow model and then once i've done that i will i will share it on social media so uh, maybe later this weekend or maybe next week and let's see what comes out of it i'm afraid that it's heavily overvalued normally good companies like that are <laughs> um jen's minator has asked us what is on our watch lists well, I've got a really large watch li watch list. I know which 40 stocks I want to own, of course. But if you think about where I could consider some buying over the last week where I was looking, of course, Johnson Johnson popped up on the radar uh, in the in the low 160, but I like it around 155. I could still buy some more uh, some more T row price as an example. I'm but I'm mostly waiting for the earnings a little bit because I find it a bit difficult to buy a shares in a company now, for instance, three days before their before their earnings. So I want to kind of wait still next week to for earnings to come in, and then I will start buying something again and have a better picture on it. Yeah, yeah. Black Blackstone T Row price are, are are on mine as well, but like you, earnings season still has a, a little bit to play out particularly europeans i think i think yeah. we might even have till the end of the month so yeah um, february is always a tough month to buy yes and that uh, friends i would also like to buy some more ahold again so maybe when it trades at 25 euro or something like that um, i will nibble in a little bit so yeah cool um ivan has asked us would it be possible to discuss what you do with disney a very long-term hold as a dividend investor uh, for me if you're a dividend investor you're selling disney because i don't see yeah. that dividend coming back anytime soon um great company uh, but i don't see that dividend coming back so uh, wonderful business in the business of ma magic but a poor stock yeah only only on the basis that you have as as a dividend investor yeah exactly yeah as a dividend uh, and i don't know if uh, because you didn't mention dividend growth investor either yes. yeah? yeah so i was also wondering is this on purpose or yeah yeah so so if if you're holding it waiting for the dividend to be reinstated it's a, it's a risky play it could happen i mean we we don't know it, it could happen i just don't see it and it won't be a fat dividend if you think about how disney was paying disney was just paying two times a year a dividend it was it was atypical for american stocks and how they pay the dividend and was also not a large dividend yeah yeah so uh, i don't i don't really have a expectation uh, there and i also don't know how much money burning these uh, the streaming war still is netflix was doing really well um personally i see at home that we don't watch disney plus that much our children are still gravitating back towards netflix all the time so we canceled it and then there was a new serial so we turned it on again and i just see that kind of the stickiness is the most with netflix for us and hbo max and the least with disney plus although disney plus we have the most memories with all these movies yeah yeah um m markovich he sees a lot of high yield etfs now what is our take yeah i don't buy etfs so yeah i mean i think we discussed it discussed it earlier a little bit it's it's hard for us to buy them really good ones in in the us and 
from for me personally we have this deemed disposal rule which i've spoke of um it's an irish specific rule where i have to pretend to sell every eight years and every subsequent year after that and, and pay capital gains so it's it's a pain tax-wise um so etfs are, are not on my horizon um tim has asked us how do you guys deal with the psychological buzz you get when you buy a new company versus balancing that with the patience you need yeah i wrote an article about that one time right uh, for instance how to also uh, deal with a falling knife um i try to buy for instance not not more than once a month it's also a bit hard with the capital uh, that i have at my disposal so that helps already yeah and and usually i don't feel like buying the same company twice in a row because there's so much out there that i want to buy that i usually also split the money a little bit between different stocks so naturally it becomes a little bit less of an uh, issue uh, last year i bought quite some castellum but i also did it like af after a while all the time yeah so um, I don't really have an issue with this anymore, I must say. It's not like when I see stock go down, I think, buy, 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 and I throw all my cash at it in a month or something like that, and suddenly it uh, comes from nowhere being my biggest position. Yeah, I don't, I don't have this issue. Um, Marek has asked us, do you like when prices go high? The answer is no. 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 <laughs> no. No, Marek. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I can't pronounce the first name. Timon Van Dyke, great second mm -hmm. name. Um, like us, he has Alibaba in a portfolio. At what point are you selling it? Because it does not fit your DJI strategy. I do not hold it anymore. Yeah, I still hold it. And I, I have my sell order at $300. Uh, <laughs> so I'm waiting for it to, to, to get there. It's now at $100. So I still have a long... Uh, so Timon... Uh, I when I bought it, I said I give it three years to double. I bought it at around $150. I thought it was worth towards six two hundred sixty dollars. So I thought, okay, if it gets a bit overvalued, it will be three hundred dollars. That was my thesis. We're now two years down the road. It's of course uh, turned south. It's part of my ten percent non-dividend growth uh, portfolio. Actually, a little bit for this value investing. So um, yeah. I, I, I'm still waiting a year and then I'll reassess again. Yeah, I'm expecting you to say you're holding it and give it another three years and then you're going to hold it for another three years <laughs> and so on. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> we'll yeah, if there's value, then I see no reason to sell it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, you're right. Um, Royco has asked what YouTube channels and podcasts you follow and recommend. I like uh, Sven Carlin. Uh, Sven Carlin a lot. I was for some time with Everything Money, uh, these three guys, but then they fired uh, the guy that I had the most sympathy for. And now these two are, for me, are like, e even all the all the thumbnails, I hate them already with uh, all the time scared faces on everything. So they, then I just know they're really only trying to manipulate me. Um, so no, it's mainly Sven Carlin. And the podcast I listened to the Dutch one, it's called Burst Talk. Uh, it's uh, released every Friday evening. I like that one as well. I listened already to it for probably 10 years. Um, and then there are some really good podcasts like, uh, what is it called? Um, 
it's a, it's about uh, we study billionaires or something like that i really really like that one i think it's from the investors podcast or the investors network i really like that one as well and uh, you you really they have really some hidden gems in those uh, episodes yeah um, oh, and, and by the way what about mike yeah I was mike, just uh, yeah the dividend guy uh, I, I think i think mike has a pretty pretty good show there's there's a couple in ireland that i listen to um in around investing and on youtube i just kind of flick <laughs> flick around i don't really follow anyone i just kind of see what comes up i did not know that they got rid of the guy and everything money that's interesting he was the guy that was kind of presenting he wasn't really yeah 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 exactly yeah. It, it was them keeping their feet on the ground and asking them the challenging questions and now these two are as cocky cocky as hell and they have nobody anymore that uh, kind of challenges them yeah i i mean I, w I used to watch a couple of their videos the five pillars if i remember correctly mm um and it was interesting but i just found most of the time it was trying to plug their software and that that's what yeah really, exactly that's exactly. what really bugged me um the, the principles principles behind it was fine the, the investing yeah. was sound but it just seemed like they were pushing this all the time and that's yeah. not what i want to watch youtube for so exactly um interesting okay that's the end of the show I, we managed to cram that in in about one hour and 12 minutes which i did not think we would do and wow. we we missed a lot of companies like starbucks i know we didn't talk about starbucks for example you would have probably not about apple about not about mm -hmm. mcdonald's not about exxon mobile uh, so it's been um it's been a, it's been a good weekend it's a bank holiday weekend over here in ireland so i get a bit more time particularly on monday to sit down and dive into some some nice. reports, so looking forward to it good everyone have a great week ahead and uh, happy earnings week again and hopefully many more dividend hikes remember both of us at dividend talk are not certified financial specialists through formal education we are just two guys sharing our journey for inspiration and entertainment purposes hence this is not investment advice although we do our best we can't promise that the information discussed is always correct nor appropriate for you or anybody else we always recommend that you do your own due diligence and be accountable for your own choices as we always say you can't borrow conviction from others last but not least by listening to our podcast you agree to hold us harmless from any ramifications financial or otherwise that occur to you as a result of acting on information provided in this podcast. 